Chapter thirty seven of Hands of Iceland by Victor Hugo. Translated by Abby Langdon Alger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sonia. Chapter thirty seven. Corpolican, walk so cautiously that the earth itself may not catch your footfall. Redouble your precautions, friends. If we arrive unheard, I will answer for the victory. Tukapel, night veils all. Fearful darkness covers the earth. We hear no sentinel. We have seen no spies. Ringo, let us advance. Tukapel, what do I hear? Are we discovered? Lope da Vega, the conquest of Arauco. I say, golden stiper, old fellow, the evening breeze is beginning to blow my hairy cap about my head rather vigorously. These words were spoken by Cannibal, as his eyes wandered for a moment from the giant who marched at the head of the insurgents, and half turned toward a mountaineer whom the accident of a disorderly progress had placed beside him. His friend shook his head and shifted his banner from one shoulder to the other, with a deep sigh of fatigue, as he answered, Hm, I fancy, Captain, that in these confounded black pillar gorges, through which the wind rushes like a torrent let loose, we shall not be as warm to-night as if we were flames dancing on the hearth. We must make such rousing fires that the old owls will be scared from their nests among the rocks in their ruined palace. I can't endure owls. On that horrid night when I saw the fairy Upfem, she took the shape of an owl. By St. Sylvester, interrupted Golden Stiper, turning his head, the angel of the storm beats his wings most furiously. Take my advice, Captain Cannibal, and set fire to all the pine trees on the mountain. It would be a fine sight to see an army warm itself with a whole forest. Heaven forbid, my dear Guldon, think of the deer and the gerfalcons and the pheasants. Roast the game if you will, but do not burn it alive. Old Gulden laughed. <laughs> Captain, you are the same devil of a cannibal, the wolf of deer, the bear of wolves, and the buffalo of bears. Are we far from Black Pillar? asked the voice from the huntsman. Comrade, replied Cannibal, we shall enter the gorge at nightfall. We shall reach the four crosses directly. There was a brief silence, during which nothing was heard but the tramp of many feet, the moaning of the wind, and the distant song of the regiment of iron workers from Lake Mjösen. Friend Gulden Stiper, resumed Cannibal, when he had whistled an old hunting song, you have just passed a few days at Trondheim, have you not? Yes, Captain. My brother George, the fisherman, was ill, and I took his place in the boat for a short time, so that his poor family might not starve while he was ill. Well, as you come from Trondheim, did you happen to see this Count, the prisoner, Schumacher? Gleffenham? What is his name now? I mean that man in whose behalf we have rebelled against the royal protectorate, and whose arms I suppose you have on that big red flag. It is heavy enough, I can tell you, said Gulden. Do you mean the prisoner in Munkholm Fortress, the Count, if you choose to call him so? And how do you suppose, Captain, that I should see him? I should have needed, he added, lowering his voice, the eyes of that demon marching in front of us, though he does not leave a smell of brimstone behind him, of that Hans of Iceland, who can see through stone walls, or the ring of Queen Mab, who passes through keyholes. There is but one man among us now, I am sure, who ever saw the Count, the prisoner to whom you refer. But one? Ah, Mr. Hackett. But this Hackett is no longer with us. He left us today to return to... I do not mean Mr. Hackett, Captain. And who then? That young man in the green mantle, with the black plume, who burst into our midst last night. Well? 
"'Well,' said Gulden, drawing closer to Cannibal, "'he knows the Count, this famous Count, as well as I know you, Captain Cannibal.' Cannibal looked at Gulden, winked his left eye, smacked his lips, and clapped his friend on the shoulder, with that triumphant exclamation which so often escapes us when we are satisfied with our own penetration. "'I thought as much.' "'Yes, Captain,' continued Gulden Stiper, changing his flame-coloured banner to the other shoulder. "'I assure you that the young man in green has seen the Count. I don't know what you call him, the one for whom we are fighting, in Munkholm's keep, and he seemed to think no more of walking into that prison than you or I would of shooting in a royal park.' And how happen you to know this, Brother Guldon? The old mountaineer seized Cannibal by the arm, and half opening his otter-skin waistcoat with a caution which was almost suspicious, he said, Look there. By my most holy patron saint, exclaimed Cannibal, it glitters like diamonds. It was indeed a superb diamond buckle which fastened Guldon's diaper's rough belt. And they are real diamonds, he replied, closing his waistcoat. I am just as sure of it as I am that the moon is two days' journey from the earth, and that my belt is made of buffalo leather. Cannibal's face clouded, and his expression changed from surprise to distress. He cast down his eyes and said with savage sternness, Golden Stiper, of Colso Village, in the Kjolan Mountains, your father, Madpress Stiper, died at the age of one hundred and two, without reproach, for it was no crime to kill one of the king's deer or elk by mistake. Golden Stiper, fifty-seven good years have passed over your grey head, which cannot be called youth except for an owl. Golden Stiper, old friend, I would rather for your sake that the diamonds in that buckle were grains of millet, if you did not come by them honestly, as honestly as a royal pheasant comes by a leaden bullet. As he pronounced this strange sermon, the mountaineer's tone was both impressive and menacing. As truly as Captain Cannibal is the boldest hunter in Kirlen, replied Gulden, unmoved, and as truly as these diamonds are diamonds, they are my lawful property. Indeed, said Cannibal in accents which wavered between confidence and doubt. God and my patron saint know, replied Gulden, that one evening, just as I was pointing out the Trondheim's pledges to some sons of our good mother Norway, who were carrying thither the body of an officer found dead on Urchdal sands, this was about a week ago, a young man stepped up to my boat. To Munkholm, says he to me. I was not at all anxious to obey, Captain. A free bird never likes to fly into the neighbourhood of a cage. But the young gentleman had a haughty, lordly manner. He was followed by a servant leading two horses. He leaped into my boat with an air of authority. I took up my oars, that is to say, my brother's oars. It was my good angel that willed me to do so. When we reached the fortress, my young passenger, after exchanging a few words with the officer on guard, flung me in payment... As God hears me, he did, Captain. This diamond buckle which I showed you, and which would have belonged to my brother George, and not to me, if at the time that the traveller, heaven help him, engaged me, the day's work which I was doing for George had not been done. This is the truth, Captain Cannibal. Very good. Little by little the captain's features had cleared as much as their naturally hard and gloomy expression would permit, and he asked Gulden in a softened voice, and are you sure, old fellow, that this young man is the same who is now behind us with Norbith followers? Sure, I could not mistake among a thousand faces the face of him who made my fortune. Besides, it is the same cloak, the same black plume. I believe you, Gulden. 
and it is clear that he went there to see the famous prisoner, for if he were not bound on some very mysterious errand, he would never have rewarded so handsomely the boatman who rowed him over. And besides, now that he has joined us... You are right. And I imagine, Captain, that this young stranger may have far greater influence with the Count whom we are about to set free than Mr. Hackett, who strikes me, by my soul, as only fit to moo like a wildcat. Cannibal nodded his head expressively. Comrade, you have said just what I meant to say. I should be much more inclined in this whole matter to obey that young gentleman than the envoy Hackett. St. Sylvester and St. Olaf help me, but if the Iceland demon be our commander... I believe, friend Guldon, that we owe it far less to that magpie Hackett than to this stranger. Really, Captain? inquired Guldon. Cannibal opened his mouth to answer when he felt a hand on his shoulder. It was Norbith. Cannibal, we are betrayed. Gorman Wostrom has just come from the south. The entire regiment of musketeers is marching against us. The Schleswig lancers are at Sparbo. Three companies of Danish dragoons await the cavalry at Lovik. All along the road he saw as many green jackets as there were bushes. Let us hasten towards Gongan. Let us not pause until we reach that point. There, at least, we can defend ourselves. One thing more. Gorman thinks that he saw the gleam of muskets among the briars as he came through the defiles of Black Pillar. The young leader was pale and agitated, but his face and voice still showed courage and resolution. Impossible, cried Cannibal. It is certain, certain, said Norbith. But Mr. Hackett is a traitor or a coward. Depend on what I say, friend Cannibal. Where is this Hackett? At this moment, old Jonas approached the two chiefs. By the deep discouragement stamped upon his features, it was easily seen that he had learned the fatal news. The eyes of the two elder men, Jonas and Cannibal, met, and they shook their heads with one accord. Well, Jonas? Well, Cannibal? said Norbith. But the aged leader of the pharaoh mines slowly passed his hand across his wrinkled brow, and in a low voice answered the appealing look of the aged leader of the Kyurlen mountaineers. Yes, it is but too true, it is but too certain. Gorman Wostrom saw them. If it be so, said Cannibal, what is to be done? What is to be done? answered Jonas. I consider, friend Jonas, that we should do well to halt. And better still, brother Cannibal, to retreat. Halt? Retreat? exclaimed Norbith. We must push forward. The two elders looked at the young man in cold surprise. Push forward, said Cannibal. And how about the Munkholm musketeers? And the Schleswig lancers, added Jonas. And the Danish dragoons, continued Cannibal. Norbith stamped his foot. And the royal protectorate. And my mother dying of cold and hunger. The devil, the royal protectorate said the minor Jonas with a shudder. Never mind, said Cannibal. Jonas took Cannibal by the hand, saying, Old fellow, you have not the honor to be a ward of our glorious sovereign, Christian IV. May the blessed King Olaf in heaven deliver us from the protectorate. You had better trust to your sword for that benefit, said Norbith in a fierce tone. Bold words are easy to a young man, friend Norbith, answered Cannibal. But consider that if we advance, all these green jackets... I think that it would be useless for us to return to our mountains like foxes running from wolves, for our names and our revolt are known, and if we needs must die, I prefer a musket ball to the hangman's rope. Jonas nodded assent. The devil, the protectorate for our brothers, the gallows for us. Norbith may be right after all. Give me your hand, good Norbith, said Cannibal. There is danger in either course. 
we may as well march straight to the edge of the precipice as fall over it backwards. Come on, come on, cried old Jonas, striking his sword hilt. Norbit grasped them by the hand. Listen, brothers, be bold like me. I will be prudent, like you. Let us not pause until we reach Skongen. The garrison is weak, and we will overwhelm it. Let us pass, since we must, through the defiles of Black Pillar, but in utter silence. We must traverse them, even if they be guarded by the enemy. I do not think that the musketeers have come so far as Ordal's bridge, beyond Skongen, but it matters not. Silence. Silence, so be it, repeated Cannibal. Now, Jonas, said Norbith, let us return to our posts. Tomorrow we may be at Trondheim in spite of musketeers, lancers, dragoons, and all the green jerkins of the south. The three chiefs parted. Soon the watchword, silence, passed from rank to rank, and the insurgents, a moment before so tumultuous, looked, in those waste places darkened by approaching night, like a band of mute ghosts roaming noiselessly through the winding paths of a cemetery. But their road became narrower every moment, and seemed by degrees to dive between two walls of rock which grew steeper and steeper. As the red moon rose among a mass of cold clouds hovering about her with weird inconstancy, Cannibal turned to Gulden Stiper, saying, We are about to enter Black Pillar Pass. Silence. In fact, they already heard the roar of the torrent which follows every turn of the road between the two mountains, and they saw, to the south, the huge granite pyramid known as the Black Pillar, outlined against the grey sky and the surrounding snow-capped mountains, while the western horizon, veiled in mists, was bounded by the extreme verge of Sparbo Forest, and by huge piles of rocks, terraced as if a stairway for giants. The rebels, forced to stretch their columns over this crooked road, compressed between two mountains, continued their march. They penetrated those dark valleys without lighting a torch, without uttering a sound. The very sound of their footsteps was unheard amid the deafening crash of waterfalls, and the roar of a furious blast which bowed the druidical woods, and drove the clouds in eddying whirls about tall peaks clad in snow and ice. Lost in the dark depth of the gorge, the light of the moon, which was veiled now and again, did not reach the heads of their pikes, and the white eagles flying overhead did not guess that so vast a multitude of men was troubling their solitude. Once old Gulden Stiper touched Cannibal's shoulder with the butt-end of his carbine, saying, Captain, Captain, something glimmers behind that tuft of holly and broom. So it does, replied the mountain chief. It is the water of the stream reflecting the clouds. And they passed on. Again Gulden grasped his leader quickly by the arm. Look, he said, are not those muskets shining yonder in the shadow of that rock? Cannibal shook his head. Then, after looking attentively, he said, Never fear, Brother Gulden, it is a moonbeam falling on an icy peak. No further cause for alarm appeared, and the various bands, as they marched quietly through the winding gorge, insensibly forgot all the danger of their position. After two hours of often painful progress over the tree trunks and granite boulders which blocked the road, the vanguard entered the mountainous group of pine trees at the end of Black Pillar Pass, overhung by high, black, moss-grown cliffs. Gulden Stiper approached Cannibal, declaring that he was delighted that they were at last almost out of this cursed cutthroat place, and that they must render thanks to St. Sylvester that the Black Pillar had not been fatal to them. Cannibal laughed, swearing that he had never shared such old womanish fears, for with most men, when danger is over, it ceases to exist, and they tried to prove by their incredulity the courage which they perhaps failed to display before. 
At this moment, two small round lights, like two live coals, moving in the thick underwood, attracted his attention. By my soul's salvation, he whispered, pulling Gulden's arms. See, those two blazing eyes must surely belong to the fiercest wildcat that ever mooed in a thicket. You are right, replied old Stiper, and if he were not marching in front of us, I should rather think that they were the wicked eyes of the demon of ice. Hush! cried Cannibal. Then, seizing his carbine, he added, Truly, it shall not be said that such fine game passed before Cannibal in vain. The shot was fired before Gulden Stiper, who threw himself upon the rash hunter, could prevent it. It was not the shrill cry of a wildcat that answered the discharge of the gun. <laughs> it was the fearful howl of a tiger, followed by a burst of human laughter, more frightful still. No one heard the report as its dying echoes were prolonged from rock to rock, for the flash of the powder had no sooner lighted up the darkness, the fatal crack of the gun had no sooner burst upon the silence, than a thousand terrible voices rang out unexpectedly from mountain, valley, and forest. A shout of, Long live the king! Loud as the rolling thunder, swept over the heads of the rebels, close beside them, behind and before them, and the murderous light of a dreadful volley of musketry, bursting from every hand and striking them down, at the same time disclosed, amid red clouds of smoke, a battalion behind every rock, and a soldier behind every tree. End of chapter 37